0: doesn't like love, to to fall in love, to be in love with somebody. In fact, when we love, there's almost like a fulfillment in relationship when there's a demonstration of love between people. Last week, we talked about being part of God's family and how God demonstrated great love towards us by Adopting us, and not just adopting us, but giving us an inheritance. A confirmation that it wasn't just that we were going to receive the benefits of adoption now, today, but we were going to continue to receive them throughout the future and into eternity. Love is a big deal. And John, this morning, is going to break down some of what that looks like for us And clear up, you know, the English language, we only have one word to describe this love. Other languages have multiple, the Greek had four. We're going to clear up how to demonstrate love and what it should look like for us as believers. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 10, John says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. You know, the difference between being part of God's family. If you're not in God's family, then by default, what family are you a part of? The devil. The devil. Jesus said to people, He said, Your father is Satan. Very strong words. But we see, as Jesus demonstrated love to everybody, remember we brought up Judas, how could Jesus know Judas was who he was and still love him? Because Jesus couldn't tell you, hey, you guys love your enemies, without Jesus himself loving his enemies. It was a demonstration of what genuine love looked like. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to learn how to better love. And it starts, love starts, uh, with those who are closest to us. Even though it's the easiest, but it starts with those who are the closest to us, and it works its way out. So the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what family do we want to be a part of? Do we want to be considered children of God, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, or are we willing to be okay with being a part of Satan's household, who is the father of lies? This is what I see the world's definition of love is. What do you guys think the world's definition of love is? In one word, to describe it, it's a lie. Everything that you see that the world tries to attach to what love is, is a lie. God very clearly demonstrates this in Scripture. In fact, as Christians, we see love throughout the whole Bible, specifically in you know the Gospel of John and in the epistles that John wrote. He really wants people to understand this concept of love. So he starts off with saying, after we've talked a little bit about it, if you, are you guys, you know, children of God? Are you children of the devil? This is how it's manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. In this context that we're reading, what is righteousness? Doing what's right? Right? That's what righteousness is. It's doing what's right. So if he says that we are to practice righteousness and righteousness is doing what's right, what's the right thing to do in, in the context that he's talking about? Loving each other. You want to be righteous? Love. You want to do the right thing in the situation that you're in right now? The answer is love. Loving others. The difference between the love of this world and the love that God gives us through Jesus in the Christian church is the world loves itself. We are to love others. That's a big difference. And taking the focus off of me sometimes is very difficult. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. I really like the fact that John uses this illustration particularly of Cain and Abel in Genesis as a demonstration of somebody who's walking in love and somebody who's being motivated by the devil. Because it kind of clears some things up for us. This also reminds me of a concept that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, when, when the prophet Samuel is, is delaying and going to Saul, and Saul starts to offer sacrifices before the appointed time. When Samuel gets to Saul, and, and he says to him, Hey, what are you doing? You, you are in sin. You didn't go about this process right. And Saul says, what are you talking about? I did everything right. I'm offering sacrifices. Isn't that what God wants? Samuel, Samuel's response was, God desires obedience and not sacrifice. When I'm looking at my life and I'm trying to distinguish if I'm genuinely loving somebody, I put it into two categories and I look at this example of Cain and Abel. Am I doing things as a motivation uh, or or am doing things in love as a motivation in obedience or a motivation of sacrifice? Do you know what the difference between obedience and sacrifice is? Obedience is responding to a relationship, therefore a demonstration of love is able to be manifest. Sacrifice is just doing something because you have to do it. See, Cain and Abel, one offered a sacrifice because of obedience to God. And that sacrifice, because there was genuine love involved, and God saw that it was a right relationship of obedience, he accepted it and he blessed him. The other, it was just a sacrifice. He still did the sacrifice, but it wasn't done in obedience. That's why his sacrifice wasn't received. And you guys understand this because you have relationships you have love relationships with people that you want to love and you want to love you. And if it's a friendship, you know, I remember in in going to Bible college in Hungary, uh my my first semester, they needed somebody to oversee the the vehicle the fleet of vehicles that they had. And I had been a truck driver. I was in the Teamsters Union. I liked working with vehicles, and they said, you have some experience. Could you oversee the vehicles, make sure they're tune-ups and all the oil change? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. My, my person that they gave me to help, my helper, um, was actually, interestingly for the story, was Grace's brother, Caleb. And Caleb, if you know Caleb, he's like a, a big teddy bear. He's a sweet guy. And for some reason, he, you know, I don't know what the his motivation was, but for some reason, um, he he liked me. And I liked him. And every time he found out somehow that I liked Snickers, and every time that we would get together to start working on a car, washing it or whatever, he would go to the coffee shop and buy me a Snickers and bring me a Snickers. He says, "Hey, I got this for you today." I'm like, "Dude, who are you? You are one cool cat, and your sister's smoking hot." You guys got a nice family going on. So I would eat my Snickers and we would talk. I'd make him clean. I'd sit in the car. (laughs) And if that's how our relationship started and it got to the point later on down the road at the end of the semester or the next semester where um, Caleb showed up and I was like, hey, where's my Snickers, dude? You started this thing with the right momentum, but now you're not bringing it anymore. Okay, Tim, I'll offer you the sacrifice, the peace offering so that we can have a good friendship or a good relationship. Would I, if he was doing it in that sense, would I even want to continue to receive the candy bar? Like, listen, dude, you know, you're coming, you're throwing the snickers at my face. If you don't want to do it anymore, don't do it. You know, just stop. I want you to do it because you want to, not because you have to. And sometimes in the church, we do things because we feel like we have to, not because we want to. And it becomes not an act or an action of obedience because of love, because we want to know God, because we want to bless others, but because we think that, that it's required. And make no mistake, God does not receive a sacrifice if it's not motivated and done in obedience. He doesn't. You know why? Because he knows your heart. He knew Cain and Abel's hearts. He knew one was doing it because they wanted to do it, and one was doing it because he had to do it. So when we look at love and we say, what is love? What is Oh, just kidding. I, sometimes I can't help myself. When we look at our lives and we say, am I loving or am I, am I loving the way that the Bible tells me to or am I loving like Jesus or am I loving like the example that God gave us throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, am I doing it? You can look at it and say, am I doing this because I want to do it or am I doing it because I have to do it? And those of you who are married know exactly what I mean. Because as you start to do things in marriage because you have to do it, there comes a point where your spouse is like, you know what? I'll, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. I don't know why you think that, that you, know, you have to do this and you do it so, so begrudgingly. And, and I don't want that to be what the demonstration of our relationship is. When I tell my wife, I want to do the dishes, she knows that I'm lying, <laughs> she knows it. She knows that if I do it anyway, that uh, it's probably motivated in, in obedient love rather than sacrificial love because I, you know, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I'll do anything else. What else do you want me to do, you know? So the example that John is setting up for us right from the beginning, he says, you guys want to know what love is? This is the example that you receive from the beginning. From the beginning, we see with Adam and Eve as well, when the beginning beginning. You guys have all of this stuff. I created this whole world for you. I instructed you to be fruitful and multiply. I gave you one, one thing not to do. One tree. And people say, why did God do the one thing, man? If God didn't give the one tree, then it would be a utopia. We'd still all be, be, you know, on cloud nine. Everything would be perfect. No, it wouldn't. You know why? Because without the one thing, there is no true demonstration of love. When there's no choice involved, then it's not real love. God says, I have to give you an opportunity to do right and do wrong because if I don't, then it's not going to be sincere, genuine love. We also read verses about loving without hypocrisy. You know, you can say that you're loving somebody or you can say that you're loving, but you can be doing it in a way that's hypocritical because it's more sacrificial than obedient love. And I don't want to be like that. I want to look at the example that God said uh, that God gave us in John references here with Cain and Abel, and say my motivation to to offer anything to God is because of a, a, a desire to know Him and, and a genuine uh, state of love. This is the difference. This is the difference between us as God's holy church and the rest of the religious world systems. We had the opportunity yesterday at the, at the rummage sale to talk to a lot of people. It was awesome. I had this opportunity to talk to this ex-Mormon guy who was born and raised Mormon and became an atheist because of the hypocrisy in the church that he saw. And he said to me, I could tell after I started to withdraw a little bit just how brainwashed I was. And he said, what's the difference? You guys are all the same. I said, absolutely not. You know what the difference is? The things that we do are motivated in love. The things that everybody else do is is motivated out of command, out of of requirement. Every other system in the entire world, you look at it, do your research, go home and study. Every other religious institution on the planet is works-based. It's what you can do for God, islam Hindu. I mean, you break down the cults. It's the same thing. It's what you can do for God, what you can do. It's always back to the sacrifice. What are you willing to do for God? That's why we don't pass the offering plate. That's why I don't like to talk about finances, because I don't want you to feel pressured in any way to make any offering to God, because he doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your love offering The Lord loves a hilarious giver. He loves those who give hilariously, intentionally, choosing to do it because they love him. Not because they have to. And that's what the difference is. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he did for you. And then it takes the requirements away. That's why Jesus could say so emphatically, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Because I'm not putting some heavy requirement on you. These aren't the things that I'm forcing you to do. I want your relationship with God to be my, like my relationship. That's what Jesus says. You guys look at me. How is my relationship with God motivated? It's motivated by love. The love of the son for the father. And Jesus says that's the same way I want your relationship with God to be motivated. With love, not with duty, not with have to. That's where our heart cries out, Abba, Father, because it's that level, that depth of relational love that God has for us, not based on who we are or what we do. I think uh, still last you know Wednesday, going through the five, the first five books of Leviticus, um, really, just had me looking at things in a different perspective you know, how, how God has dealt with sin. And I have to be honest, after looking at it and, and dissecting it together and talking about it and teaching through it, um, I wanted to focus on the good, like the, the good news, God's love and, and his, his ultimate sacrifice that he, that he sent for me as Son Jesus Christ. But all I could really see for a little bit was, was my sin, was, was how hard it was for them. Do you know that in Leviticus, when they would bring the sacrifice, or the offering rather, offering is used more clearly, when they would bring their offering to the, to the tent of the, uh, and the door of meeting, uh, they, would, they would bring it to the priest. But commonly we, we think that it was the priest that did the sacrifice, but it was actually the people bringing the offering that were, were required to, to slay the animal. To put their hands on the head of the animal and to cut its throat, or to slay it, to to shed its blood, because it was their sins that were being atoned for. And when you get that picture of you're having to kill an animal in all for all intents purposes an innocent animal, you're having to kill an innocent animal. Why is that animal dying? Why is its blood being shed? Because of me. When I kill this thing, it's not dying because it did anything wrong. It's dying because I did something wrong. And that changes our perspective. That's why we go through the Old Testament. So we could see the the volume that Jesus' sacrifice speaks. And that we have that freedom, that free access to God because of that sacrifice. And we're not required to do the stuff anymore that God told the israelites to do as an example the example that we would never be able to do it and yet the world nay satan influences the world to think that your relationship with god is based on what you do and he can start or influence tens of thousands of false religions and if they all focus on what they can do for god instead of what god has done for them then he's achieved his goal He doesn't want you to understand the grace and mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to understand that you can come to him as you are. And when you sacrifice or you offer your life to him, the process starts where you get baptized. You're you're buried in a watery grave. You're raised to newness of life. You are a new creation, a new creature. And the way that the sin nature controlled you before no longer controls you now and into the future. Does that make sense? For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is what I was talking about in the beginning, about a demonstration of love being first and foremost to those who are closest to you, you know. I think for me it would be if, if I'm really exercising and I want to see if I'm exercising what genuine love looks like, I look at my relationship with my wife. Am I doing things based on the, the commitment that I made to her or, or my desire to love her through obedience? Or am I doing things based on the law, what I have to do, what I can sacrifice to her? And then I go to the next, to my kids, and I go to the next, my, my closest family and friends, and I go to you guys. You guys are easy to love, right? <laughs> Look at those faces. And it goes to you guys. That's the next part of the process. And the next part, what's that? The world, those who are outside of the church. And his focus here, he skips those who are the very most closest, even though you could consider those as well. He's talking about brethren as in brothers and sisters in your own family or those who are closest to you. But more specifically, those who are in the church, which is what Jesus said, wasn't it? Man, John must have been hanging out with Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 13 and see what Jesus said about love that John references from the Old Testament, and he also references from the New Testament. John chapter 13, verse 34. We're going to start in uh, 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I say... I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Question, who is Jesus talking to? His disciples. Correct. In fact, in First John, it makes the distinction, the world's going to hate you. This is the difference of relationship. The world is going to hate you. Don't seek their approval or their love, but your, uh, your focus should be on loving those who are closest to you, loving your brothers. And then Jesus says in John chapter 13 that, that they will know you by your love for one another. Sometimes I think we all come together and we come to church and it's mostly for our own benefit. It's mostly because I should go to church or you know I like that shirt Tim wears or you know whatever the case may be. There's some some kind of motivation. But how many of us, the motivation to go to church isn't just for ourselves? Because we can expect automatically that we're going to get something from going to church. A, because God's going to speak to us. And B, if we're going to a a right church filled with the Spirit, we're going to get loved on. And if that's what my expectation is going to church, not just because I have to, but because I want to be part of that process, part of that body, so that I can love other people, then the church is revolutionized. Because you see, for the most part, that's why a lot of people are involved in church, because it's something they should do. It's a difficult thing they're going through ever thought about this before? What about going, and I know we've, we've mentioned this before, what about going to church for somebody else? To love somebody. I want us, my prayer for us, is to be the kind of church that is known for its love for each other. Fulfilling the word of God. That as we come together, it's not just uh, to hear the Bible taught, which is what we, you know, I guess, Calvary Chapel, what we hold high. We teach the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Yes, we do, but we really need to make sure that we're, we're doing it, too. And what's the ultimate fulfillment of, if we could say, doing what the Bible says? It's loving each other. Think of it this way. This is like a practice arena. Because some of you in here may possibly, I don't know, you may not like somebody else here. I don't know, maybe. But this is a perfect opportunity for you, not necessarily getting along with somebody else because they don't think the same way you do, to love them anyway. Or to make some kind of an effort to love them because that's what the demonstration, that's what the example of Jesus to us was. So you're practicing. You're coming to church, you're meeting people, you're loving each other. You're thinking, how can I bless somebody? How can I love this person? How can I meet them where they're at right now? I wonder how they're really doing. You can ask them even. As that process happens and you see what healthy relationships are supposed to look like, then you're better equipped to love your enemy. Because then it doesn't matter as much how they feel about you, but it's motivated in how you feel about them. You know how I feel about them? That I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. That if me loving them, if me trying to show them the love of Jesus Christ through my life helps them to come to a place where they want to have a relationship with God, uh, it's definitely going to happen through love and not by hate. Like I mentioned many times previously, when I was a young believer, younger in in the faith, I was very legalistic. I was born and raised Catholic, and I didn't understand the difference between um, religious rites and rituals and and motivation of love. And with that kind of background, I was initially very uh, excited about and involved with apologetics, Arguing with people, correcting people. No, that's not right. That's wrong. This is right. This is what the Bible says, etc. But then I realized pr- relatively quickly that nobody was really willing to continue to engage me in relationship when I talked to them like that. Especially those who I cared the most about. The one that I bring up all the time. My grandma. I loved my grandma. And as soon as I started shoving scripture down her throat to tell her that this is what God's word says, she completely shut off. But as soon as she realized that I was the one that really, genuinely tried to love her, not based on her worldview, but because she was my grandma, I was her grandson, and I wanted to know who she was and get to know her, she opened up. She was willing to hear what I had to say. And I'm like, this love thing is incredible. But there was a point that I came to where it was genuine love. It wasn't just me acting like I liked my grandma. It was the Lord giving me a love that, that I had experienced from him for somebody that I cared about. So that's cultivated. Does that make sense? It's manifested yourself in your most personal relationships, and then you don't unplug from there. You continue in those extended relationships where you're loving people in a way that you normally wouldn't or that the world wouldn't, and then it's extended to those who are in the world, maybe that you get along with, maybe your coworkers that you like, maybe people that like the same TV shows, etc., but you're exercising it, and then the next step is for somebody who can't stand you who you know is talking behind your back at work, who you know doesn't care at all, who you know if they could have their way, you'd be dead. And then you say, God, I I understand how love is applied in all these other situations, and I'm starting to understand in a better way how it applies here. Because exercise, because discipline, because of genuine love, motivation. You're already in John. Let's flip just quickly over to the right and go to Luke in talking about the difference between loving your brothers and sisters, which can be easier. Sometimes it's still difficult. (laughs) Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Oh, man, here we go, Jesus. (sighs) But I say to you who hear, notice how he says that, who hear. Some people, they won't even let the words penetrate into their cranium. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those, those who love you, what credit is that to you? That's easy. They're loving me, so I can love them. For even sinners love those who love them, people in the world. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. When's the last time that we did that? I almost said you. (laughs) When's the last time you did that? No, when's the last time we did that? Somebody said that they needed something and I said, I want to meet that need. But man, I'm counting the days. It's been 13 days since I lent that guy my thing. And I haven't got it back yet. Time to charge interest. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Listen, this is the key, guys. The motivation isn't because of sacrifice. It's not because God's making you to do something. Oh, he smacked me on the cheek, and Jesus said I had to turn the other, so here you go, pluck my beard out as well. That's not the motivation. The motivation is you are portraying to these people who God is by your reaction and this is the result your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and and evil. Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful judge not and you shall not be judged condemn not and you shall not be condemned forgiven you will be forgiven give this is a connection a lot of your bibles separate this thought process this is all one thought process that jesus is conveying give and it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back. As you love people in the way that Jesus motivates and tries to exemplify how we should, the promise from God is that we are going to receive that and much more back to the point where we're not even going to be able to handle how much blessing God desires to give us. Why? Because we're living like Him. Because when people see us, they they see Him. People know, people know that it's most likely probably not our motivation, but it's some other kind of influence that we're receiving because nobody else acts like that. Let's flip back over to 1 John. Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and and you know that uh, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. What is love? What's the definition of love? By this we know love. What love is because he laid down his life for us. If you're asking yourself, what is love? What is love? And (laughs) I'm trying real hard. What's love? And am I uh, understanding it correctly and applying it truthfully? Well, the definition is, is, uh, are you willing to lay down your life for others? That's what love is. Love is choosing or preferring somebody else over yourself. We know what love is because he laid down his life for us. And he also ought to, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's evidence. He's not pointing fingers to say, okay, uh, you have need and you didn't respond to this, so you must not have the love of God. People try to do that in the church as well. This isn't instruction for me to identify somebody else's motivation to love. This is instruction for me to identify if I'm loving correctly. If I'm willing to give to others the way that I know I can and according to their need my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I love this verse because I used to really have a hard time with telling people that I love them i don 't know what it was let 's chalk it up to some psychological mishap you know in my childhood i 'm kidding <laughs> that 's what everybody else does. It was hard for me to say, "I love you," you know and and the reason I think the root of it was really. That um, I didn't want to say something I didn't really mean. And it was nothing against that person, but I didn't really want to convey a thought to them or a relationship that wasn't really there. And then I got saved and started going to church, and everybody started, you know, everybody was telling each other that they loved each other. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I really care about you, and maybe I do, maybe, maybe I do love you, but I don't want to have to tell you all the time. And as time got, went by, you know, God revealed uh, the desire of his heart to let other people know that I loved Him, them, but it was greater than just saying the words. It was actually doing what I was supposed to be saying. So I'd rather love somebody else or somebody indeed first before I vocalize that I, I love them because it needs to be paired with a demonstration, right? Or you can do it at the same time. Whoever has this world's goods, oh, verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Sometimes the interpretation of love is muddied because we want to love people because we're supposed to, but we don't really know what the motivation is, and then there's a conviction that we're not doing it correctly. Is that making sense, you know? Like, as a Christian, you want to love people, but sometimes you don't feel like it, but you know you have to, and you don't want it to fall into that sacrificial compartment. You want it to be obedience. You want it to be out of a a relationship with God. But we know that if our heart condemns us, that we have confidence towards God that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Because it's not easy to love people. It's not even easy to love those who are close to us sometimes. But when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows what our motivation is. He knows what's motivating us To care for and love others. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. I love how He gives us a definition right off the bat. He says, You guys are keeping the commandments of God. And what are the commandments of God? And this is His commandment, verse 23, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandments. You know why I like that verse so much? Because especially in the world today, everybody wants to talk about love. It's okay. We can talk about love, but it's divorced from the Jesus Christ. See, to be a biblical Christian who has a right relationship with God, you're not just loving people because God tells you to love and that's it. It's because you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And from that becomes a fruit of love where you love others. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Maybe the motivation uh, to, to argue with God and say, God, why is my life not going well? I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to love people. I'm traveling around the world ministering to orphans and widows and all these people. You know, what, why am I not being taken care of? Or, or why am I not happier? Well, the question can be asked in, in the first place. Are you doing it out of your own motivation to love others? Or are you doing it because of the relationship you have with God through Jesus Christ? where it's a, it's a correct uh, it's a correct definition of what love is now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us So the last thing that qualifies or able to show me if my loving is qualified before God is the testimony of the Holy Spirit in my life. By the grace of God, he does testify to me. Sometimes he testifies to the positive. Yeah, Tim, you're doing the right thing. Keep doing it. Keep loving people. Keep being like me. Sometimes the Spirit testifies to me of if I'm not doing it with the right motivation. Why are you doing this thing if you don't really love that person? If it's not a, a desire out of obedient love, if it's some kind, of, some kind of sacrificial love that you have to offer that isn't worth anything. Okay, Lord, thank you. Because my heart can tell me one thing or another, but I can have confidence in God when the Spirit leads. I have that direction that I need and let's go back to the beginning again in closing our our focus this morning in John chapter 1 John chapter 3 wasn't just to talk about love in general and the love of the world or loving our enemies or any of those things we read about that that are connected that 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 we can have a better understanding of what love is but it's more directly connected to you guys loving each other. It's 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 me loving you, you loving me us loving each other so that by going through that process and and desiring to love each other in obedient love that the father that the son showed to the father that his love would be manifested in this place in our body and they would know us by our love for him let's pray father we pray that you would Give us that discernment by your Holy Spirit that you've given us as a gift. Give us that discernment on how we can love more genuinely, when we're loving in hypocrisy, how we can be better examples of the love of Jesus. Especially in this context. Especially today, the highlight of my week, the highlight of our week, that we don't just get to have communion with you, but we get to have communion with each other and corporate communion that's manifested and demonstrates love that you first gave us while we were your enemies and separated from a right relationship with you. It's too much. We want you to change us. We want you to be manifested in our lives. God, I pray that as that is our focus, that your spirit would fall on your church and that you would do miracles. That you would heal the sick. That you would give eyes to the blind. That you would Alter us in a way that the blessings that we receive from you is is because of right relationship, motivated in love with you, and that it spills out into our church and into our lives in the world. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us what love is. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you guys opportunity this morning. I think the Lord really put this on my heart heavily. I know that we have communion in just a second, but you know this has been something that, that has been coming up. And um, as Jesse plays this song, and we have our singer...